Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit. My Natural Hair is a podcast that shares all the information you're looking to learn about natural hair. The movement, the styles, growing your hair naturally and meeting other people, part of the natural hair culture and movement. My Natural Hair is hosted by LaDonna Sims and Markeisha St. Clair from Hair Goals 313. Collectively, LaDonna and Markeisha have over 25 years of experience doing natural hair. Subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play to the Detroit is Different podcast and don't miss the true stories that add to the culture of Detroit. is different podcast studios and i am behind the mic with two of the content creators connecting to the detroit is different podcast network they've been doing this for a little bit of time they have their own perspectives they have a lot to say i met them through piper carter and when we had the chance to be on piper's episode we definitely got into like a good back and forth of perspective where i'm like okay this is interesting this this is something that I have not seen from a woman's point of view and definitely from a stance of LGBTQ rights. Uh, both of them dynamic, both of them creative, and then they have like one of the most unique like <laughs> big sister, little sister friendships <laughs> that you will ever witness. So that exchange alone is really cool. Sharon and Nicole. Yeah. Sharon, Nicole, how y'all feeling? good okay all right and they were just getting into like big big sister little sister before this <laughs> yeah. that's why i like that laugh is always with nicole nicole's like one of the most um <laughs> one of the most affable beautiful personalities when it comes to just laughing and uh somebody you can meet but also very serious about what she does in reference to social justice uh and that is always something that sometimes people even question me and Piper about it. It's like, man, you guys joke around somewhere sometimes, but then you can get real serious. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's not necessarily all work and no play or work hard, play hard. It's just, right. you know, uh, we enjoy to laugh, but enjoying to laugh doesn't supersede the fact that you want to find justice in a world that definitely deserves to have justice for everybody. You know, it's just a layer of it all. But right. Detroit is different starts with the story of Detroit for you all. So I'm going to go Sharon first mm-hmm. because big kids get to go. There we go. <laughs> oh, For little kids. <laughs> starting already. <laughs> <laughs> the cold feels we're ageist. Yes. <laughs> ageist. Yes. <laughs> so um, we're going to kick off. Sharon, your up? family in Detroit. How did you all come to Detroit? What what neighborhood? Uh, are you like a first, second, third generation Detroiter? Uh, what's your Detroit story? Uh, let's see. So my grandmother's family came up from Alabama. Mm. Um, my grandfather, this is on my mother's side. My grandfather's family, mm-hmm. we have a lot of family in um, Ohio, mostly like Columbus, 
We have land down there called the American Edition. It's a long story with that. But um, my grandmother and my grandfather met here. Okay. So then my mother was born here with my uncle. And then, of course, I was born here. My father um, was actually born in Mississippi. Hmm. Um, He couldn't read or write. So he migrated up here to get one of the factory jobs. He actually worked at uh, at Chrysler, uh, where he retired from. But he couldn't read or write. Um, it was like you know he couldn't he could only wear shoes on Sunday. Mm. You know he worked a farm with his grandfather. So yeah, and, and it's unique that both those states, as Detroit, is full of people from three primary states when it comes mm-hmm. to the Great Migration of Black people. Mm-hmm. It's Alabama. Mississippi, and Georgia. Yep. So in these Detroit's different conversations, when I run across families such as my own and my mom's family, kind of like with ties to Florida along mm-hmm. with Georgia, it's just unique. Yeah. But Mississippi and Alabama. Did mm-hmm. you go down to Alabama as a kid? Any? Not, for, not to see my family. I did go to Alabama. Um, uh-huh. When I was younger, I went to Selma. Actually walked, walked across the bridge and, wow. you know, did a, I didn't realize what I was doing because I didn't know. So you were doing it actually in honor of it, but you were just like, uh, like in the family traditions of we're taking the, the child to be a part of this? Well, I went with a friend of mine. Um, a friend of mine hit me up. I was, think I was like 15, 16. And she said, uh, my aunt is, we're driving down to Alabama and they rented me and my cousin a car. Can you go? I said, well, let me ask my mother. So I asked my mother. Her aunt talked to my mother, and they ended up letting me go. So we drove, like, her and her grandmother, her aunt and her grandmother drove. Mm-hmm. And then the three of us, they had rented us a car, so we followed them there. Mm. So my family actually never took me to Alabama nor Mississippi. I've never, I've never been to Mississippi, but mm-hmm. I do know the stories um, that, you know, were passed from my father to Mississippi, from Mississippi. Okay. Now, when we get a little bit into, like, your father's story, because mm-hmm. he made the migration a lot later than most people. Right. So I'm pretty sure people were probably calling your dad country and all types of stuff. Yeah, he was. He yeah. was. My dad was interesting, you know, and I didn't meet my father till I was nine. Hmm. Um, pure accident. Pure, pure accident. Hmm. Um, it wasn't intended for me to meet my father, but I'm a spitting image of him. Hmm. So my father's cousin was married to my mother's cousin, and they okay. had a function and I ran into my father there, and it was kind of like, we both looked like, okay, what's going on? So I met my father when I was nine, and um, I saw him off and on throughout the years. But he was an interesting guy. He was great to me, but I heard other stories about my father um, from other people's perspective. Um, he was an interesting guy, you know. Okay. Now, yeah. your mom, what was her yeah. personality like um, in... What's her, what's her vibe? What's her, uh, her style? What was it? What do you remember? Okay. Uh, my mother's, my mother's interesting. Um, my mother is very headstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this about my mother. My mother has always taught me about black and white issues. Um, a lot of things that she talked to me about a, a long time ago actually are manifesting today. Um, in terms of, like, um, culture and, and relationships between, um, you know, black people and white people and things like that. My mother was the kind of person that, you know, she's, I'll be honest, she called people, uh, white people white devils. And I was always brought up to not trust them and that any time, you know, they infiltrated a certain culture or something, they've always torn it apart, mm-hmm. used it for their own benefit and things like that. Um, so she was very stuck in those ways um, and I think that helped me in some instances as far as just looking at people and, and not being as open and trustworthy, 
but making people earn my trust. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm very good with that now. Um, but at the same time, everybody isn't bad. You have bad apples in every bunch. So to try to navigate through that is kind of interesting um, when that's what has been embedded in you for so long. She also doesn't like LGBT people. So mm-hmm. to be an LGBT person and to listen to the things that she said, I think that fuels my activism in the LGBT world because a lot of the things that I heard from her and a lot of the attitude that she has towards the community, I feel like that's how you feel about me, and that's not who I am. So it's very important for me to dispel that. So I think the things that she said and the the way that she feels really fuels me because I know that it's not true, and it's my job, I feel like, to try to make people see us differently. Mm -hmm. Now, your mother and her understanding, what what was her work? Uh, What was she doing? Like, do you think that... uh, Maybe uh, her friends or social circle had something to do with her perspectives? I think my mother was just born in the 40s. You know, my mother's in her 70s now. And when you talk to people during that time, there are not a lot of people who, from my perspective, are very open-minded towards things that are not traditional. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have a theory, and I feel like, and you know, I've never talked to my mother about this or have any inkling of an idea that this pertains to her, but people who have such a problem with people that that have nothing to do with you, I feel like it's because you're battling something that's within you that you just haven't sorted out yet. Because I don't understand why you are so hateful towards a certain group of people that have nothing to do with you, that are not hurting you or anything like that. It's just about who they choose to love. Like, why does that bother you so much? Is it because you couldn't live your truth? I don't Mm -hmm. know. Now, in that, the mm-hmm. being 70, 40s, as you talk about, that's, that's pivotal times in, in race relations. I, mm-hmm. I even tell some of the people I know uh, that work in, in the mayor's office, uh, I was at a function the other day, uh, and a white lady was like, was talking to the white guy that, that I knew. He was mm-hmm. like, this feels like reverse racism. I was like, well... <laughs> I was like, I don't necessarily know if I believe that that's possible, but mm-hmm. it could be under some premises. And if it would ever happen in the city, you know, Detroit would because yeah. you want to stick it to your heart sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know just that perspective of certain ways to look at race. Uh, if you're if you're from a certain generation, it's no, it's not even the olive branch to, as you say, open up and mm-hmm. open the perspective. And mm-hmm. I have people in my family that feel just as staunch and strongly against uh, the having the susceptibility of looking at white people with strong levels of distrust. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that era that she was born in has a whole lot to do with that? Did your, did your mom interpret different things like the rebellion in 67 and uh, things that her family went through where it just is still on her heart so much that it's not even a way to look at life racially and say to, say to herself, like, hmm, let's look at these people as individuals and not scenarios. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, and, and like my grandmother, her mother, um, so my mother grew up in the Jeffrey Projects. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, my grandmother was a domestic worker. She worked for a, a pretty uh, wealthy couple, and they owned, like, factories or something, and my grandmother was a domestic worker in their house. You know, so even as I get older and I think back on things, you know, I was always raised to the point where kids don't be in a room where grown people talk. What yeah. happens in the house stays in the house. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that I heard that I didn't really, you know, comprehend that you back then. That you couldn't piece right, together. Right. And then as a child. Right. 
but uh, now you definitely didn't have the freedom to say, okay, can you please expand on right. this? Right. Yeah. No, I would have got hit. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but looking back on it now, it makes me wonder some things. And I think people are products of their circumstances and products of their environment. And you know, my grandmother lived through the depression, and my mother saw what her mother went through. My mm-hmm. grandfather was married to my grandmother, and he left his family. You know, so I'm pretty sure a lot of the attitude that my mother has comes from that. You know, the the things that happened in her life. And, you know, my mother also had me when she was 33. Um, I put a status up on Facebook the other day that said I, I, I was a fighter since conception. My mother, one of her tubes were blocked and the other one was partially blocked. And wow. yet here I am. You wow. know what I'm saying? So my mother said all the time, if I would have known that I was going to have a child, the choices that I had made would have been different because I would have prepared for my child. Hmm. You know, I think that my mother, in some instances, the, the things that happened in her life affected her. And she didn't. She never felt that she was going to be responsible for another person, you know. And so all of that time later, you know, here it is that you are responsible for another person. And I don't think that my mother doesn't love me. I, I know that she loves me. She just doesn't love me in a way that is good for me. Mm-hmm. You know, she did grow up in a time where homosexuality was an issue. It was not talked about. They did. They, they, you know, that's not what you do. And especially mm-hmm. being the type of lesbian that I am, like that's just. A, totally taboo, no, no. Mm-hmm. And you hear the things like, you're going to go to hell, nobody's going to want to talk to you, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, one of the things that I try to do now, because a lot of people will talk to me about their children being homosexual and things like that, um, I try to make them understand that, one, this has nothing to do with you, and two, you always want to be a supportive factor to your child, because if not, they're going to go and seek support from somewhere else, and it might not be healthy support I think a lot of times when people have issues with people who are homosexual, um, part of the LGBT community, however, I think it's because of what they feel. And I also think when you have parents who have issues with their children, it's because they feel as if they've done something wrong or how they're going to be viewed because of that. And honestly, it doesn't have anything to do with that. That's one of the issues with me. That That is the issue. One of the biggest issues with me and my mother is my sexuality. And and I could I could only... I can only take in that perspective and empathize from what I've seen mm-hmm. as more of the traditional upbringing of that time and that era mm-hmm. of black people. But it, my mother, my mother, even to myself and my, and my sister, you know, she had in her thirties too, mm-hmm. which today is very commonplace. Mm-hmm. But when your mother had you at 33, like that was looked at that was different. definitely different. Mm-hmm. And then also like how, how that feels of having a child and your first child at that age, mm-hmm. especially now as you get into more with uh, women's rights and so much in women's rights mm-hmm. and advocating for women to speak up is fighting past the socialization of women being viewed as objects all the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. especially in that era. Mm-hmm. So uh, your, your mom's take even on, um, on what family is, what motherhood is. I can only imagine what that was like and being 33. Mm-hmm. I think my mother's mother. thing was survival. Mm. It was just survival. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't graduate high school either. Mm. And like I said, she, she mentioned a lot that if I would have known that I was going to have a child, I would have done things differently. I would have finished school. Mm-hmm. I would have done things differently. But she just felt like I just need to do what I need to do to survive. Mm. And I think that because of that, you know, I think she wanted better for me. 
She just wasn't in a position to be better, and she didn't know how to do it. And I think that that kind of smothered me because it was like, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And then it's that only child thing. You know, I didn't have anybody else for her to focus on. And, and let's talk a little bit about that. As survival mode is definitely a perspective and state of mind in the black community that is very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now, being that you grew up in a home where a mom embraced a lot of that, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that, uh, this is more so my philosophical question of it, do you think that the survival mode is as much survival as it is just the scarcity to even step back and even plan. Because some of the, the tough thing about being in survival mode is that you never really have, you never, uh, you never allow yourself the time to sit back, walk away, kind of look at all of the pieces, and then say, all right, this is how I want to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then the person in survival mode is going to turn and tell you, like, look, dude, I don't got time to be sitting down and planning yeah. because I got to survive. I got to do what I got to do. So is... Do you think do you, do you think that that is a mentality that can be changed through the mind, or is that only a mentality that can be changed due to other outside factors? I think it's a mentality of the mind. You know, that's how I grew up. I grew up not far from the Jeffrey Projects. Um, actually, I grew up in the Jeffrey Projects still there. You mm-hmm. know, um, I grew up with the gangs and, and the people on crack and things like that. Like, I walk outside, that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. And there are people that I grew up with that still had that mentality. And, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be honest with you. I have a survivor mentality, too. But here's the difference. I, I decided to do things differently because I did not want to end up that way. I took myself out of those situations, and I went places. Like, I'd get on the bus, and I would ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I would start, you know, we grew up, I grew up on soul food, greens. It was, God, like turnips and mustards every damn Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Hilarious. Fried chicken, and neck bones, like you know? <laughs> right? Hot water cornbread, you know. And I appreciate the soul food. I I do because I went to a thing the other night with the Caribbean community, and they had a panel about what foods remind you of growing up, what smells remind you of growing up. And I had never heard anybody talk about that, and it made me feel kind of connected with them. But I appreciate that side of me, and I still eat it. But then I also decided to meet people who were outside of my neighborhood go to places that were outside of my neighborhood, indulge in things that were, you know, different than what I was used to, and that made me want to be able to be, you know, different and do more. I don't regret where I grew up. I love where I grew up. I was actually over there the other day still talking to people, but I also know that there are other things that I can do. That's not where it stops for me. I like to travel the country. I like to go, you know, I'm, I'm planning on traveling the world, and, and meeting people and things like that, it's a mindset. Yeah, and that mindset is so tough in our community because the survival survival perspective mm-hmm. is so prevalent, mm-hmm. like in so many black communities. Mm-hmm. And before you even plan it, like I tell I tell people every day, it's like you can go down to Frank Murphy Hall of Justice. Oh yeah, any day of the week, mm-hmm. you could as as an American citizen sit in the back of the courtroom mm-hmm. and see. Generally, black man after black man after black man after black man after black man taking guilty plea for God knows what. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? hmm And I'm sure a lot of their mentalities is like, well, I got to do this and I got to do, 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 you know. And, and, and uh, my friend I had a conversation with today. She's, uh, she is building a relationship with a guy that's 
fresh out or for people that are listening, that is someone that is out of prison. <laughs> fresh out. Fresh out. fresh out is the is the term that we use. Right. And like real fresh out. Like I'm talking about like a week. And Whoa. he's like, I gotta get on my feet and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And I was like, mm-hmm. well you need to sit and share with him before he puts all of this pressure back on himself. Yeah. To get back in survival mode. Yeah. To to try to encourage him to like, hey man, work a plan. Mm-hmm. Because if not, the plan will work you, mm-hmm. and recidivism continues to happen, and this chain is never broken. Well, well, well this is what the problem is. Um, I feel like we have a lot of traumatic people just running around, not dealing with the healing that has yeah. happened in their own lives, in their own families, in our, in, in our community, and then also like in our DNA mm-hmm. and who we are as people. Our historical trauma is so in-depth. And so when you first get out of trauma, you go in through crisis, you don't know what to do, where to go. Going into the prison or jail and coming out is traumatic. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many things that people just overlook. So for me, when I hear a young man say, I got to do this, 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 not only is that a survival method, but that's also to get away from his trauma from the past. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will try to make themselves more busy and try to, you know, navigate these because being quiet, like if it's quiet at night, most of the people I work with, they'd be like, I can't sleep at night. Because yeah. people who are used to being um, in that mentality, that's something that, that's normal to them. And then when they not having that, then that's when they fear the future. And, yeah. and Nicole just touched on something. I definitely agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like chaos. Like yes. there are certain, there are certain, I don't know if you all ever had like a fish tank or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's certain fish fish that need a certain amount of algae and dirt to just survive because mm-hmm. it's like, whoo, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I grew up in this neighborhood and like, I'm certain youth, like I always joke, like I don't like being out of a, like five miles away from a you buy we fry place because it's like, <laughs> it's the community, right? <laughs> it's the community yeah. that I'm used to. So like, if I'm in a suburban cul-de-sac, I'm thinking like, damn, I go outside and you know, the, the cops may stop me and I could get murdered out here or something, you know, like I could say hi to the white neighbor across the street and she could be like, Hey, that guy was trying to rob me. And yeah. it's like, uh-huh. I, you know what I'm saying? Like it's certain, it's certain, uh, like it's certain things in American lifestyles that would be labeled as dysfunction that I understand from being in the hood for so yeah. long yes. of knowing how to even navigate and making sense out of just different things of like, you know, somebody walks in the store and they're, and they're singing and dancing and they mm-hmm. smell like God knows what, mm-hmm. you know how to, it's like, okay, I know how to acknowledge him where it's not brushing them off, right. but it's also not about to engage in like some long discussion mm-hmm. and not necessarily making them feel crazy. Yeah. You know, even though, you know, God knows mentally what's, what's going on in our community definitely does not embrace a lot of the mental health. And for some reasons, some reasons it's justifiable as most of the mental health profession. And I don't know if most people know this, but most of the mental health profession was built and designed upon the idea of defining what race was Mm -hmm. and justifying the fact that black people can be enslaved. Mm -hmm. So like some of the natural apprehensions against certain things like mental health mm-hmm. come from roots of good places. But the same way that the black community has embraced the church, I think we can also embrace some of the positivity from 
psychiatry, psychology, and uh, mental health tools and everything, too, to function through things. And now we're engaging. Nicole, same questions for you. Your family and your ties to Detroit. What's what's your Detroit story? Are you a first, second, third generation? So, uh, Sharon and I actually have a lot of similarities. I'm uh, actually a second generation. Okay. Um, So, my mother and father are both from the South. So my mother um, lived in Helena, Arkansas, and my father lived in Decap, Texas. He lived there his whole life. And, and those are those are definitely that Southwest region. Mm-hmm. You don't get a lot of people from from that region coming up to mm-hmm. to Detroit. Now I don't know really? why, but it's not a lot of folks like that, yeah. like Texans in Detroit. <laughs> it's a lot of Detroiters. There's more Detroiters in, in Texas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ain't no ain't no Texans up here. <laughs> Like, you go to Atlanta, like, people from Georgia and Detroit, it's like, oh, it's, oh, you know, but, but yeah, mm. like, that Southwest region, it's generally not a lot of them. So, well, what led them to come I'm, to Detroit? I'm different. Um, <laughs> you know, the typical story of, you know, my father came up so he can get a better get job, job, a better mm-hmm. future. So, he worked for the big three. Um, my mother came up to be with her brothers. My mother had four brothers, so. So, they um, came up separately. Yes. Okay. It yes. wasn't like they got hitched down there no. and then made their way. It was no. like, okay, they came up separately. Yeah, yeah, they came up separately. And your dad said some smooth southern games. He did, though. <laughs> like, he was like, you looking like a mint Jew looking. <laughs> he did, like, though. They met at a party. It was so cute. She was like, he, I met him at a party. She was like, and I told him, you know, I already got nine stacks saved up. So you got to come with it. You got to come better than that. So my daddy. Nine he, stacks for a woman. In that era, she was rich. That's real. Hey, rich. I mean, yeah. I get my work ethic from my mom. My mom, like, she just barely wanted to retire at 65. My mother is 73. So Hmm. I'm one of the weird millennials that has a parent that both parents are baby boomers. Hmm. Um, And it really shaped my perspective on, like, just um, my mother being so caring and being so loving and um, she had a hard childhood, and so she came up here, and she, like, dedicated her whole life to working in the hospital. Um, she worked with a lot of Holocaust survivors. So my mom is just, like, she, I mean, she can, you know, cuss what, and do whatever, uh, but she she really, um, it was really inspiring. What form, of, what form of work in hospitals? Um, so she worked at the ER um, she was a medical lab technician, different hmm. things like that. So she actually have a lot of stories about people from Motown coming into the, ho- the hospital. I can imagine. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And she worked from also um, Dr. Um, well, no, no, um, Coleman A. Young, um, his brother, which was a doctor. So that was a whole interesting conversation we had about that. Now, what was it like growing up as a kid with parents that are like, so much older than your friends' parents. You know... And then in the black community, your <laughs> friends' parents may be 15. You know what I mean? It's like, like, damn, your mom in the club with us. Like, your mom would never come to the club with us. What was that like? Uh, you know, it was uh, it was interesting. I mean, I couldn't really tell that much of a, a difference because my mom, like your mom, my mom was 38 when she had me. So it was... I mean, you could tell, like, my parents were on the outside very secretive. And I'm a, and I'm saying that again, very very secretive. Like when you said, "What happens in this house stays in this house." Mm-hmm. That's kind of how my parents had this. Like you know, everything was spick and span. Everything was clean. Like it was really like the lawn had to be a certain way. It was really um, a lot of pressure because my other friends' parents kind of let them do a lot more. 
mm-hmm. and where my parents was really strict when it came to like certain things. So, so I, like you were like that kid that like when you were playing with the kids in the streets, and then the mom or your friends was like, "Hey, come on in, y'all want some Kool Aid?" It's like, "Hell yeah, I want some Kool Aid!" And you were that kid that was like, <laughs> "I mom said I can't go in people's houses." Yeah. Yes. It was like. It was like, if you don't give me that cup of Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, like, you know, I grew up off of um, Seven Mile in um, in that area. and Seven and what? East and West Seven Mile kind of have their own uh, culture. You said, what you <laughs> think? You I think? don't know. No, no, no. Guessing how much you know me, which part do you think, East or West? I have no idea. I, I'm going to say, okay, well, I mean, being that you say it like that, let's say West 7 Mile. No, East 7 Mile. Okay. No, right, no. See. It's really West 7 Mile. Okay. <laughs> okay, because I was going to say, it's a, it's different cultures, I mean, to me. You know what I'm saying? But I had family. I spent a lot of my time as a child, though, over my uh, cousin's house. They are mm-hmm. were on the east side. And my thing is, I was the only child. Well, okay. I am the only child. Oh, so that's similar as well. Yep. It, so I, I mean, me and her relate with that because mm-hmm. I would have to go over there. Like, I mean, I had a lot of family, but they just either had to come to me or I had to go to them. So, you mm-hmm. know, I didn't even notice the the big difference between the east side and west side till like, people pointed it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of comical, but sometimes it could be very, very mean, but... Very mean. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it... it it definitely had mo- a lot of Detroit neighborhoods kind of have their own little feel they and do. vibe. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think there are certain differences between the east side and the west side. You know, like, you know, it, it just it just is. I don't know. Like, I can't I can't give I can give examples, but, you know, like it's it's just different. We have I mean, the, different. The, the, the thing about it is like, um as we were talking about, like, kind of the pain and the bad, you know, um, situations and the bad mental, you know, um, mental issues and all those things, we have a lot of good things in Detroit, too. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, like, I remember, like, messing with the fire hydrant. I remember, like, jumping on mattresses. I remember, like, a lot of, like, fun stuff. Like, I remember my childhood being, like, full of love and everything like that. And when, you know, I know we're shifting when it comes to all of these business coming into Detroit and really trying to change it from being a negative stigma, I still think, like, it's always had its beauty. And we don't need for these corporations or people not from the city to come in and tell us our city's beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? And so it's it's really, like, um, it's a lot of pain, like, and, and a lot of issues. But at the same time, like, you know, Detroit is, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, high school. Where high school did you go to? So the ninth grade, um, I went to um, high school of commerce and business administration. That is mm-hmm. the longest title in the world. That school ended up folding. It was off of eight miles. So um, from tenth to twelfth grade, I went to um, Detroit Performing Arts High School. Okay, so you went to DSA. Yep. All right, and man, commerce. Yeah, I do remember when commerce do quote unquote you? folded. Like folded, like. If people are listening, and many schools have quote unquote folded, what was it like going to a school as it closed down? As so many high schools have changed, when when I was when I was young, it was about 30, 30 high schools, like high schools, not like one building with like seven different academies, where it's like, hey, your class is an academy, so technically it's still fifty schools in Detroit Public Schools. It was like no, straight up, mm-hmm. you know, like you would take the Dexter bus and you knew. You know, like, as you're getting closer to different schools, because different kids would get on the bus. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you'd be like, oh, man, 
Here we go. Yeah. Murray Wright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Murray. Where'd you, know, you go? Northwestern. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, that's why you're talking junk about Murray. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that's what I was wondering. You with Murray Wright? Yeah. I, yeah. I went to Cass for the first two years. It finished at Murray Wright? Yeah. I um, play basketball at Cass, tore my ACL. Of course, mm. you got to keep your grade point up, but mm. you know, I couldn't because I tore my ACL. I want to say something, though. Because it was the dean of students at Cass. His name was Henry Williams. You know, he told me that I would never be anything. Ain't that so? He hmm. did. Yeah, Henry Williams, big old, big, fat dude. I'm mm. sorry I said the word fat, but he was. Mm. Big dude named Henry Williams, and he was the dean of students. And I remember being in his office, and he looked me in my face, and he said, you'll never be anything. Mm. So, whatever. But I left there. I went to Murray. Murray. Right. Graduated in the top 10% of my class. Got accepted mm. to Eastern Michigan University. First semester of my senior year. Could have graduated a year early had they let me finish. I just mm. want to say that. But yeah, I went to Murray we Curry. Go. I'm with I'm with Murray. I went to Murray, Curry. I never, Murray Murray Wright was like one of those like uh Murray Wright was one of those schools that because you know you had the freedoms over there. I stayed in the definitely... freedoms. I stayed in the freedoms. <laughs> I stayed in the freedoms. I did. I grew up in the freedoms, yo. The free, freedom folk was like the, the longest <laughs> arm of folk ever. Yeah. He was like, oh Lord. <laughs> Riding your bike over there, there. you'd be like, oh, you hit the wrong corner. It's like, like, let's let's see if we can really get this 12 speeds going. Let's see if we can really get up to 12 speeds. It'd be like, you go in Roscoe's arcade at the wrong time. You'd be like, oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, please let me get out of here safe. But uh, the Freedoms and the Jeffs. But Murray was one of those schools that I think in some ways, like King, like a neighborhood school that still had, like, if you just really wanted to focus and just do studies, you could, like, yeah. probably do studies. It wasn't, like, as much as, like, a Northwestern or a Central where mm-hmm. everything kind of had a little bit more of a street edge and more gang culture, though mm-hmm. it was existing in Murray. Mm-hmm. And they had really good sports culture, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we was, we was slamming in the oh, sports. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I played basketball at Murray. Um, if, if you wanted to do good at Murray, you had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Um, that was one of the best things I think that happened to me was ending up at Murray. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I was taking college credits. They, whatever I needed to do and wanted to do, they encouraged and supported it. As they say, if it mm-hmm. ain't Murray, it ain't right. That there you the- go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Murray. At DSA. Did you go to the, the, the new DSA or the DSA down the street from Murray? <laughs> Hell no, I ain't go to the new one. Kari. You went to the DSA down the street from Murray. That's the yes. original one. Yes. That was like fame See? for real. Yeah, so why y'all all acting like no, I'm no, all young like... and stuff? <clears throat> I went to the old, that should let you know that I'm not the as The old young Murray Wright building. That's what it was. It, that's what it was. It was, yeah. That's it what was, it was. You know, and they actually moved the year after I graduated. And I was mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? Yeah, because so you had Dr. Uh, well, Cotton. she may have been Dr. Cotton. Well, yeah, she was Dr. Cotton by then. Yep. I love, shout out to Dr. Cotton. You are yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Cotton was a ama- man. I mean, the vision for DSA was a vision of Dr. Cotton. That's what's up. Um, shout out my, my cousin now that's the principal there, uh, Myra Reynolds. And I think a lot of stuff will fall in place. But now it's somebody that is an artist. Because that's the other thing. That Dr. Cotton was so dramatic that she's somebody I got to get on Detroit <laughs> is different one of these days. Oh, Even though I know do. she's down. Uh, we got to figure that out. But just so dramatic <laughs> and, and so... Uh, it, I mean, that whole school was a different field because my sister graduated DSA. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was 
So I saw like kind of the inception of what the idea was because it was like fame for Detroit. It was that that is how I always describe it is fame, fame in Detroit. That is exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just to me, if you weren't like if you weren't even a good artist, like you going to lead or being a great artist because art was like during a whole day. Like people don't understand how beautiful of an experience like we would leave wherever we coming from on a bus or wherever, and we would leave all this stuff, and then and inside... And kids from Murray Wright be bullying you <laughs> just... No, no, some of them would. <laughs> I was going to say that. We would be like... Can't go to that We was like, the damn Murray Wright kids. Please, I hell no. Yeah, a lot of our a lot of our um, young men that identified as gay would get um, targeted by your comrades. I can, see, I can see that. I can see that. Wow. Now, DSA was... Was and and DSA was because like I remember you know just going to some of the stuff my sister uh, the LGBTQ community was always very prevalent at DSA yes so in an era where definitely people definitely didn't recognize that in that journey but that school was just so different yes it, for it a time was. then so I can only imagine what it's like now. Cause I go into most schools now, and it's just it's a different feel around what, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, what sexuality is, identifying with sexuality. Like it's it's just unique, you it know, is. it's completely different. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, straight up, I remember at, at Northwestern, if you were a gay guy, and like, I mean to this day, you had hands. Like those were some of the best fighters ever. I was at this one event. For uh for a talent show at Wayne State. And this guy just over the top, high heels, like, but I've known him from Northwestern. And like some guys were making fun of him. I was like, oh. And I told my friend, I'm like, watch this. You know, like, I mean, like fight attitude, always having that chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a lot of courage to be that guy wearing lipstick at Northwestern. Cause you knew what you were about to get into mm-hmm. every day. Where it's like, oh, yeah, 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 he he got hands. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can joke about him if you want, you know. But to to have to basically walk in the doors of a school knowing you're going to get into a fight every other day is a different type of reality. Yeah, That's important. I don't think the kids today realize <clears throat> that. And I talk about that all the time, like, it's 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 easier, and not, not all the time. It's still bullying and stuff like that, and I think social media plays a big part in that. But for some of these spaces where you find a, a, a big level of comfort, like I think sometimes they forget about the people who sacrificed for you to be able to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, it, it, like you said, like that takes a tremendous amount of courage to know I'm about to go in here and be myself. I don't give a shit what y'all say. Unapologetically, this is me. I know I'm about to get into it, but damn it, I'm about to be me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's huge, especially back during that time. Because, like, yeah. you know, we we were, it was a lot of lesbians, but we damn sure weren't going to prom with each other. And, right. and you know, having girlfriends and stuff, we hid all of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. But yeah. now it's accepted. And now, you know, the schools are supposed to respect you and support you. Yeah. And I, I get upset sometimes because I think with the younger people, they want this instant gratification and feel like you're owed something. And unfortunately, I don't feel like 
we have those generational conversations to where you can appreciate people who sacrifice for you to be able to get to the point that you are now. I and, think, and I think it, race is kind of like that too, because I can only imagine oh, what some of the stuff you know, my great uncle, my granddad, great granddad mm-hmm. had to go through just, just existing. Like mm-hmm. you know the 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 classic Emmett Till case, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's in the, always in the back of my mind and prevalent. It's nothing scarier to me mm-hmm. than. Me being in a space and a white woman claiming I did something to her in any form, mm-hmm. and I did not. So mm-hmm. it's almost it's a, such a level of fear that I can't even really put in the words yeah. of like, uh, uh-uh. uh, you know, it's like you know that proximity and some, you know, it, it's like I have to have true comfortability with you with some of my white women friends, but white women strangers ain't probably nothing scarier than that. Mm-hmm. Nothing scarier than that for me. And just as a black man, because it's like, I don't need any of that on my collar at all. Because mm-hmm. I don't think nobody's believing me in reference to that. So imagine like, and so I want people to understand that like when you are a black woman or you're LGBT, you have so many other people that you are afraid of being in contact with. Mm-hmm. So for me, sometimes I'm in fear of being around white men or white police yeah. officers. Yeah. Then sometimes there's some white women who use their authority against me or a black man, like, cause I'm a survivor. What if this and this and this happens? So we live like in the intersection of all of the margins. Like yeah. we have to navigate so many different spaces. And that's why I think the hashtag black girl magic is out there because People don't understand, like, code switching and having to, you know, have somebody put you in a box, but you have all these layers. And it becomes so heavy sometimes that you just got to say, screw it, and just, like, live the best way you can. But I just wanted to talk about that because that's, like, one perspective. Like, you are, like, how often, Carrie, are you going to be, like, a, well, like, away or in a close space with a white woman? Not very well. Mm, <laughs> uh, I could go into an office building, like, elevator you know what i'm saying um definitely police officer that's one of those things so like elevator possibly walking down the street Mm -hmm. uh possibly waiting to get seated at a restaurant you know um you know like these are things that just is prevalent in my mind because like the emma till case it's like Mm -hmm. reckless eyeballing yeah you can get murdered for that which is basically like black guy looking at white woman right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so um things like that are prevalent in my mind and I definitely uh, look to empathize with more and more of a woman's perspective because I do think that it's other layers of, mm-hmm. uh, what do they call them, migrations or mm-hmm. uh, microaggressions mm-hmm. that the woman deals with in more proximity. So it may not be as physical and as immediate because like most of my fears would be physical and immediate. It could be passive aggressive and over a period of, I don't know, a career mm. that a woman may deal with stuff, unlike what I would face. And not saying, like, but, one is worse or, Right, because I know. was about to say, on, on behalf of you, like, this say one of those things did happen. You would probably have a lot more consequence with anything. You get what I'm saying? So as us, like, our racism in our spaces or navigating those spaces might have to be maybe a little bit more, but I feel like... These conversations are so important for women and mm-hmm. men to have, mm-hmm. especially in the black community, because sometimes we clash mm-hmm. and we talk about it's like the oppression Olympics amongst a black woman and a black man. And so mm-hmm. you have all these dynamics of people like, oh, well, I, my trauma is worse than yours. My trauma is this. Right. 
And we're not saying that, but that's the way we're moving. Yeah. So that was helpful, the perspective you gave to me. Like, no, I think about that all the time. I definitely. It, it's like, you know, and, and I mean, as we grow older and then even with society, like uh, even being around a child can be very, as a man, you know, grown man, it's like mm. I have to have a certain connection with the parents of that child, uh, both parents of that child, mm. um, <clears throat> and permission, and then a relationship with that child, and then even under that proximity, it's different. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just different. You know, technically, probably more in, like, a group situation. You know what I mean? It's, it's a couple different things where I'm cognizant of, like, okay, you know, I need to be thinking in reference to the optics of this mm-hmm. and what possibly could steer, you know, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can't be like the oppression Olympics. I'm not necessarily trying to, uh, earn stripes. And that's why I love talking to both of you all. Cause you are always at a different perspective of what I haven't seen mm-hmm. in reference to things. Like even with what you said, like those different boxes and I'm completely, uh, I'm completely humbled by so much of what women go through because even more so than anything, I have that strong belief that a lot of women have been socialized not to speak up, period. Mm-hmm. Just in the whole world of women are socialized to be objects mm-hmm. more so than my whole life I was encouraged to speak up, to say what I felt, um, to kind of do what I felt like, to pursue mm-hmm. what's happening. Whereas that socialization of a woman is like, you know, like I remember, and I don't think it's out of, it's kind of like what Sharon said. I don't think it's out like out of a place of... Um, I don't think it's out of a place of, of uh, like, to put down or shame. It's not, it's not malicious. Mm-hmm. But people are saying, like, hey, you're a lady. You're supposed to do this. Hey, you're a lady. You're supposed to do this. Hey, you're a lady. You're supposed to do this. Right. So imagine the, me. Hey, you're a man. It's like, <laughs> do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Make a plan and execute. Yeah. 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 Speak up when you, you know. Yeah. Fight for what you want. Like it's like a whole nother set of like, like everything in life. Whereas everything with like, hey, you're a lady. It's like do all you can basically so you can accompany a man that did what he wants. And then I'm in the middle. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. I'm totally in the middle of that. Yeah. And and what what you said about the kids. Because of how people think yeah. about LGBT, especially me, you know, not presenting yeah. as feminine. And and it's kind of weird because I'm not the lady. Yeah. You know, so I worry about the black men that try to fight me, too, because yeah. I don't present the way that they want. And I yeah. worry about, you know, what people think when they, I love kids. I work with kids. I'm great with kids, you know, mm-hmm. but I have heard that, well, gay people are molesters. Uh, like, who, yeah, child. Mm-hmm. who said that I never will I touch a child? I do think, I do think that that's another reality in that work that there are many people. All right, first off, molestation is rampant in American culture, right? Possibly mm-hmm. human civilization it culture has nothing to do with sexual orientation. <clears throat> and but there are oftentimes many people, especially kind of in our community that, uh, you know, that are, that have been molested, mm-hmm. um, identify with the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. 
age in years, identify back with, um, what is it, uh, heterosexuality, and get in church and identify that, like, okay, molestation led me to homosexuality. Now, that's a story that is just that, been told I, I that. often, and I'm sure you've heard that story, yeah. and, it, and it's prevalent, you know, uh, now, is this story the validity of this story, the statistics of this story? Is this a story that is um, uh, propagated through different church institutions and, and, and people that are from that? I, have, I don't have the, the data on that, but I know that that story is prevalent and it's existent in society. I think for some people it's easier, it's easier to say that. Mm. It's easier to say that. I, I, I don't think that it, it, it may be true for some. I don't know. I was a person that said that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't ago. know. I don't. I don't. I I like women because I like women. Yeah. It it has nothing to do with. I haven't had a bad relationship or an abusive relationship with a man. I knew some mm-hmm. great guys. I just didn't want to sleep with them. Like God, mm-hmm. like some of them, I still wish I could hook them up. Like they're mm-hmm. really good dudes. You know what I'm saying? But none of that had anything to do with what I chose to do. I think mm-hmm. some people, because my mother asked me, well, what happened to you? And it would have been easy to say, well, such and such happened, and you know, this is why. That's mm-hmm. easier to accept, other than, no, this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know everybody's personal story, mm-hmm. but I really don't want, I, it bothers me, that because that, that that people say, story exists. this is why I'm, 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 I'm part of this community, and I don't, I don't, I don't believe that that's true for everybody. But on the flip side, as somebody with a different perspective, me saying that I was that person, like my coming out story was pretty bad uh, with when it came to telling my mother. Um, I had just, um, was maybe in my sophomore year of college, but um, as a person who almost, I was like, dang, do Kari know me? Like you said a lot, like, you know, she was Melissa, she did, she that, she that. I'm like, wow, but I mean, it's true though, like, um, I went through child sexual abuse and I went through other things in my life and then I came out to my mother and, you know, it, it kind of like pushed me back in the closet. I had came out um, and I was like out as far as in my like community or in my school, like um, at the age of around 16, 17. Mm-hmm. So I came out pretty early and just having to navigate that, you know, I had a supportive school like DSA. You know, and then when I graduated and went to Michigan State, it was kind of like, okay. You know, it was still like, I still felt comfortable who I was. But when I told my mother, like, I did try so hard to eventually, like, try to live by what my mama wanted. Mm. And once I let that go and started loving myself, um, I saw that you you can't pray it away. (laughs) You can't do Mm. any of that. So I think you need to hear people who have struggled with trying to go back quote unquote being straight and then realizing like there's nothing I can do. Like whose life am I trying to live? Mine or for my mother? Mm-hmm. You know, so when I finally realized like, you know, I can love God, I can be spiritual, but I also am in the LGBT community. And I can be both. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about putting people like feeling like they have to fulfill these things. And mm-hmm. and it previously goes back to my parents being baby boomers because they were very traditional. Mm-hmm. So I broke and I break all the norms of what my mother... Sometimes my mom, I know her high blood pressure. She got a machine on her bed. And I'm just like, I know your your heart is racing, like, <laughs> just putting up with me because, you know, I do have the privilege of being able to be out 
and say what I want, do what I want, because of what my parents and your, you know, both of your parents have done, you know, because that Emma Till story is in my head. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my mom would say, you know, it was just her and her brothers had to walk down the street, and she remember one day it was during Emmett Till or after Emmett Till, and everybody had their head down extra low. I was like, what you mean down extra low? She said, if a white person walks by you, you have to put your head down and say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And I just, I couldn't believe it. Like, she told me about water fountains. You know, she actually, when she first got on the bus to Cincinnati, my mom said, you know, my mom is very fair-skinned, and so she could pass. So my mother went into this train station to go visit her aunt because my mother, my grandmother was sick. And she said that she was sitting over in an area. She went to the fountain. She sent back and another black woman was looking at her like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And she didn't get, she didn't comprehend it. She was like, oh, this is really nice. So then when she got on a bus, she just kind of went somewhere. So everybody was kind of looking at her. And so then she saw that it said like colors only. Yeah. And to know that that's not, like, too far away. Like, that's my mother. It's it's, it's so close, you know, like, and it's so many different codes. I mean, it's even hood codes, but it's so many different codes to live by that that generation had. Yes. And that's where, like, I look at both of you and the work that you all do and really reaching out to a lot of people that need the support and providing providing tools because that's that's the strength to me of like as i've said and i've talked to counselors myself just about different things that i'm doing my mind is god knows it's all over the place my presence (laughs) of mind can be million and one places so it helps because i've been given tools through counseling Mm -hmm. to deal in different situations and i believe that the work you all provide you're giving tools to people where it's relatable because now they they see you and they're not like it's not like you know a a a a counselor walking in with a thick sweater and a cup of coffee where it's like, oh, shit, I'm not about to open up to this person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, right. I see Sharon, and it's feelings? like, damn, I want them kicks too. And then it's like, all right, they can talk. Y'all can have a conversation about the kicks for like 15 minutes, and then it's like, all right, so what you going through? Yeah. And it's like, all right, this is what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I'm at a, I'm at a job. I ain't came out to nobody at my job, but my friend just tagged me on my Facebook post, what I'm going to deal with. And yeah. it's like, okay, blah, 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 blah. Because I think... That alone, with the work you all do, is so dope. And let's talk a little bit about the work you all do Ooh. in supporting people. Oh man, you in their me. journeys. I currently um, keep checking my phone because I'm on call. Mm-hmm. So what that means is um, I work for an organization called Wayne County Safe Program, and so we help all the sexual assault survivors um, in Wayne County, and so. I literally have a pager on my phone because I do have an old school pager, by the way. Mm-hmm. They gave us one. You still got one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, the pager goes off and then we have an hour to get to the hospital and to um, help a sexual assault survivor, um, you know, through their healing process and um, get a rape kit. So that's one little bitty part of our job, though. Now, now when we talk about sexual assault, it's extremely prevalent. Um Domestic violence is so prevalent. I mean, I would urge the same, you know, you can go to the Wayne County building. <clears throat> and I want to say, I don't even know what floor that is. Probably like the eighth floor and go mm-hmm. to any of those courtrooms or go to the basement and look at all the every day. You'll see a basement full of women getting PPOs against some guy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a couple guys getting PPOs, but I'd say it's probably every day about 250 to 600 women getting well, yeah, restraining I, orders. I used to work um, in um, Detroit Police Department um, in Oakland County and mm-hmm. downtown at the PPO office. Um, so, you know, one of the things is you're you're definitely correct. Like, just doing that work, I would sometimes see the same woman. You know, the woman would come in because the average woman tries to escape their abusive relationship at least six to seven times before they leave. So it was another type of level of you really had to take care of yourself because it was another type of level of hopelessness sometimes because each time I would see the woman, she'd get worse and worse and worse. But I knew the resilience of those women and those men um, because I saw a lot of LGBT people um, in those arenas um, that are men and women. Um, But, yeah, like once you start to really... Um, look at the resilience like you just they just need like a push they just need or they need a a gentle reminder of how wonderful they are like they know what they need to do it's just like I I look at survivors when they come in the hospital wherever they come like this this person already has all the tools they need to be the best person they could be like I just have to supply them with Harry do you have a number like this call this number Let's do this together. Let's work together. And when I look at it from that perspective, it's not as heavy. It feels like good because I know this person is going to find out how they need and what they need to do to heal. Now, in this, it's, it's like any form of counseling. Uh, how do you all have your balance? How do you all still have your cup runneth over? Because some of the things you're touching and some of the people you're interacting with are going through such traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you all have, how do you, you know, walk back in with a clean slate where you're not carrying that with you as like, even just some of the teachers I know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, kids walk in and it's like, Hey, we ain't had no food all week. And it's like, damn dude, this is going to mess with my life right now. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, so how do you, you know, how, when you're, engaging people going through their most vulnerable mm-hmm. times and traumatic experiences how are you still balancing yourselves uh, for me i have a great support system um mm-hmm. and, and can you explain a, a little bit about like how you've built and developed that because as you said great support system mm-hmm. i don't know if a lot of people even know how to build I'm, that i'm very picky about my friends and 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 when i say friend mm-hmm. I, I really that word means something to me. Okay. Uh, most of my friends have developed over time through trials okay. and tribulations. These mm-hmm. are just people who um, we met. Mm-hmm. They weren't forced. Um, when things happened, we just ended up being there for each other, and it just developed over time mm. to where I can say I have on my five fingers, I'm going to have a couple fingers left over that are people that, my, that are my friends. And I'm okay with that. Now, now, as a, you know, because this is the other layer of that. Mm-hmm. And it's good that you mentioned friendship as your support. Mm-hmm. Um, as you grow older, sometimes, like, as friends, you'll really feel your friends. And then you'll look up and it's like, damn, I ain't talked to him in like a year and a half. You know, but you all, how do you all continue to engage and, 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 and um, build that? Very consciously. You know, um, I, get a lot, I get a little flack from my friends now because I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like today I went to brunch with some friends that I, I hadn't seen in a while. And, um, the thing is, is, is we're always supportive because there are times where, you know, I didn't have much going on and they were busy mm. and it's like, how can I support you? I love you. 
you know, and when we get back together, it wasn't, oh, you think you better than me. You active. You know, it's, it's never that. It's always support. And right now, like, you know, one of the conversations that we had today was, you don't tell us everything you do. Like, we want to support you. And, and, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'll be more intentional about it. I've actually heard that like three times today. Um, so I think my friends have seen me at my worst and they've seen me at my best. And for me, why I consider them the friends that I do is because they never changed. They never changed. They never judge. It does not matter what I go through. They'll be honest with me and tell me, you messed up on that. You was wrong. You know what I'm saying? And I respect that. I don't have no yes men in my circle or any of that. But anytime I need them, they're there. Um, if they're not there, it's probably because I haven't told them mm-hmm. everything. Kind of private in that in that regard. But the friendship is, is very important. Wow. I also grew up in a house with me and my mother. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind being alone. Mm-hmm. I can take myself out. And I spend time with myself. And I treat myself very well. It, can you explain a little bit of that? As you, you're giving me tools and the people listening tools. Yeah, I date me. This. So you're saying fr- friendship and yeah. dating yourself. I date myself. What is, what, what is a, it depends on how I'm do? feeling. Okay, it, okay, okay. I might take myself to the spa. I love okay. MGM and, and, um, and Motor City Spa. Okay. I might take myself to get a pedicure and manicure. I might take myself to a movie. I might take myself to a concert. I might take myself out to eat. I may go to the Eastern Market, buy a bunch of food and cook it myself and turn some music on, and you would think it was a party in my house. I have gotten to a point where I don't need a lot of people around me, and I really appreciate the quiet. You know, you mentioned earlier, growing up and where we're, where we, we are used to certain things. Like, I was used to hearing gunshots. Mm. And it took me a really long time to be able to sit in the quiet, like you were saying, to sit in the quiet and be okay. I felt like something needed to happen. And I'm at a point now where I'm okay with the quiet. So, you know, a lot of people just need people around. I prefer to have people around of substance and quality. And it keeps a lot of mess out of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, It keeps things consistent. And it's just very comforting to know. Because, you know, I have family. I'm not really close to my family. But even like the holiday, you know, my best friend's mother died and, and her fiance was at work. And we just went over there and grilled. She did her thing, I did my thing, but the comfort of knowing that we okay. We ain't even got to talk about a bunch of stuff, but we're just here, and that's okay. And I see you the next time I come back, and I'm going to check on you in between. You know, that's what's up. And when something traumatic happens, this is another measure of friendship. If I'm all out of, like, she getting married on the 5th, mm-hmm. and when I tell you she, my nerves is bad mm-hmm. because her nerves is bad, mm-hmm. it's a connection there. Wow. You know, so she doesn't sleep good if I'm not sleeping good. She worries about me. I don't sleep good if she's not sleeping good. I worry about She called me first thing this morning. I'm, I just kind of went on the couch and laid there and let her have at it. Mm. But your friends become your family, and I'm very selective about the people that I choose to let into that, that circle for me. You just um, dropped a lot of gems on the people. I hope that y'all taking notes <laughs> on those gems and those skill sets. Yeah. Because you all are really working with people where you need that full cup. Yeah. And and I had to feel like I'm I was sure, worth it. And I'm sure that you all sometimes can see people in passing. And a lot of social justice work, I see certain people Absolutely. where I see their mental states where it's like, man, you're taking on so much of this. It's like, I wish you could just, it's like, it'd be so much better for the work and you if mm-hmm. you kind of you got to know when to say no. You got to know when to say no. I say no. If I don't want to do something, I say no. And it's not to be mean. It's just if I tell you no, 
I really mean it. Like, either I can't do it or I just don't want to. I don't feel like I should even owe you an explanation. I have that right. It's good for everybody involved, though. Yeah. You and, know, and learning boundaries, like you yeah. said. Like, it's, it's good for your body autonomy. It's good for your health, your well-being, mm-hmm. spirit, emotional, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as women, we don't feel like we can say no mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hear a lot of, um, especially, like, white women, you know, they'll say I'm sorry a lot in conversation. Oh, God, yeah, they do. And, you know, I think to myself, like, why? why? Like, why, you know, why do we feel? And I know it goes back to, you know, sexism, racism, mm-hmm. you know, patriarchy, all that stuff. But my thing is, you know, as women, like, the word no. Like, you could be dog tired. And, like, as black women, we have these this martyr mentality. Mm-hmm. We have this matriarch mentality. And so, you know, one of the things that I think of as a revolution is, like, loving myself and taking that time out. Mm-hmm. Because if we look all the way to the... The Middle Passage, and and after we have been working with, and it's free labor. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're not used to actually taking the time to get to know ourselves, and that goes back to growing up in Detroit mm-hmm. and actually having to be in this chaos and this busyness. And so when I actually say, you know, screw them, screw you, whatever, I, I actually take that time to be silent. That is when I truly start to love myself and hear myself. Mm-hmm. How can you pour from, like you say, an empty vessel? Like, how can you help someone to get to know who they are? Because if you go through any trauma, you have to know about self-awareness. Mm-hmm. How can you help someone know who you are when you won't take the time out the day for yourself? Yeah, it's a journey, though. It's a, it's a journey to getting to the point of loving yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a journey to the point of, yeah. of, of understanding and accepting that you are, you are worthy of good people in your life and you can get rid of the ones that ain't good. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You don't owe them nothing. Mm-hmm. My mother was toxic to me. I don't talk to my mother. So if I cannot talk to my mother, I cannot talk to anybody who I feel is causing me damage. I had to get to a point of feeling like I was worthy to be okay. I had to get to a point of feeling like I'm okay and I'm enough to where I could take myself out. I don't need to wait on anybody to do that for me. I could treat myself good, and it's okay. But, Sean, I don't know if I ever told you, but after we had met and got to know each other, like, you helped me with my self-esteem mm-hmm. and helped me with my self-worth because I saw what you had to go through every single day. Mm-hmm. And people, and, you know, I when I saw her documentary on um, Woman and um, Queer and Racial Justice, like, we had something to eat after, and I cried because... You know, I had all these stereotypes in the past about, you know, our different parts of women and lesbians and bisexual women in the community. And I, Sharon, like, she cut off the myths. She cut off the stereotypes. And then she let she let me see what it was like to enter her world. And I was like, sh- I was about to cuss. Shoot. Yeah, like, shit. shit. I'm like, I'm just, I, I need him to check where I'm at. Oh, if you can, if you can up with this shit every day and hold your head up I don't have any reason to be trying to look at if this is this don't look right do these jeans don't look right is my hair like you know like that little trivial feminist bullshit that femme bullshit you know what I'm saying like we were I remember one time I'll never forget I'm not not gonna try to activate or trigger you but we went to a mall (laughs) oh yeah we went to a mall and um it was me, just before she started working in Wayne County Safe, she, it was me, my daughter, and we went to Macomb Mall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we went into H&M, and we were there with my daughter, and we were going to get her some clothes. And this woman looked, like, so afraid of Sharon. Like, mm-hmm. she was, like... Like, disgusted. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so she grabbed her child, and the other mm-hmm. person, they whispered, and they, like, took off. Wow. 
And I was so angry. I had like this feeling like, yeah, you know, because that was not, but to her, that was nothing new. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? She was common, like, that's oh. a common place. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. it was like another layer of just like, you know, appreciation and like it, you know, we put our pants on, shoes on the same way, but the way the world looks at us is truly different. But you know what? what and I'm going to coin this phrase. We heard it on Kari's show first. <laughs> Hilarious. Everybody's issue with me has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. So it used to bother me. Mm-hmm. And it used to hurt me. Like, damn, like, what am I, you know, what did I do? Because, okay, I'm, I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm a lesbian. I'm a masculine. It's all of this stuff. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm me, and I'm a good damn person. I have good people in my life. God is blessing me. I have great friends and people like being around me. All of that junk y'all feeling, that ain't got nothing to do with me, and I'm not even going to let you affect me, as, or I'm not going to suck it in. And, and, and getting to that, saying that, embracing that, it is... It's a journey. It yeah. is. And it's still, like, consistently. Like, I definitely know my quirks. Mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my people the other day. And then you learn, as you get older, you know your quirks, your triggers. You're like, okay, I know. I already know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And you, you will tell people sometimes, and then they'll be like, no, no, I can deal with that. And I'm like, yo, you know, like presence mm-hmm. of mind with me sometimes, I can get very fixated. I can be very empathetic. But then I can get in certain zones where, because my mind will be someplace else where I'm all detached. That's mm-hmm. just been the journey of Kari, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I kind of saw my dad do that. Uh, my granddad did that. But it's weird because it's like, wow, man, you can be so empathetic. You can be so here sometimes, and then you'll be so there. And it's like, no, this is really, this is how I am. Mm-hmm. So I will anger the hell out of you because the capability, you know what I'm saying, the capability to be here all the way is there, mm-hmm. but also the capability to be, like, you know, your, you know, it's uh, the old OJ song, your mind is here, with, <laughs> your body's here with me, but your mind is on me. the other side of town. Yeah. You know, so like when you learn these different ideas mm-hmm. in, in society around you, it's like you're you're growing, and then and then you start even embracing some of the insecurities of like, okay, why mm-hmm. does that bother me that this yeah. person judged me like that? Yeah, and it's like why do, why would this judgment matter? Mm-hmm. And then some of the judgment is it's kind of funny. It's like okay, I can see, yeah, like I can see the validity true. of that, <laughs> right. but even but that's why how I am. They're like mm-hmm. it don't bother me. You know what I'm saying? So it's a uh, it's. It's a journey in life, and I'm glad you all shared. And I'm also glad both of them are on the network with Detroit is Different. Yes. Catch me out. You can uh, <laughs> check out their podcast every week. They have uh, their their podcast is definitely not as anybody listening to this is definitely a little bit more documentary stylish, mm-hmm. but um, real cool guests uh, exploring topics uh, topics that can be artistic, but just unique perspectives about things that you all need to see and as you all just got some tools from listening to this you're always given tools just mm-hmm. naturally because you all have a network of resources in and around the metro detroit area and even america mm-hmm. that can help people that are going through things that they may not uh know that they're embracing and if not you it could be your your niece your daughter uh it could be uh, the, the the girl across the street that you developed a friendship with where it's like, yo, I can't tell anybody, but I'm real cool with you, but I went through this. You know, mm-hmm. like, what is that responsibility? Now you have some tools right here that are real because mm-hmm. I'm also sure, and I just want you all to talk briefly about this before I get into, like, my cl- closing Detroit's different questions. It's a lot of, I don't want to say, like, bad resources or whatever, but some of the resources, like everything that exists in mm-hmm. America may not necessarily be 
culturally balanced where it's as like um as embracing for black folks mm-hmm. so can you all talk a little bit just about you know for that person listening uh how they should go about helping in our community specifically uh a, a young person that's looking for some of these resources because it's a lot of resources out there but a lot's not necessarily designed from a black point of view mm-hmm one one thing is, you know, and, and I talk to Nicole about this all the time. There are a lot of people that want to help that just don't know how to help. And they think that it's so trivial. Yeah. God blessed us. God, God blessed us. God blessed us with our jobs. I mean, and I could tell you some things that was going on in my life two or three years ago. And you'd be like, why are you, how are you here? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But God blesses us. And, and he gives us these tools and these platforms that you're talking about. There was no coincidence that we walked in here and we did that podcast with Piper and Mahogany and you, and now we're here. It's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I thank God for all of the opportunities that come my way, and I make sure that I'm very intentional on trying to help someone, being something for someone that I didn't have for me. It's not difficult. It could be like you said. If you see somebody outside that needs some help, then fucking help them. It doesn't have to be an organizational thing. You don't need a television crew. You don't need an audience. If it's in you to help, then you help. Basic humanity. Basic humanity. And that's where it starts at. People think that it's this big thing that's blown up. And it's not. I go sit and get breakfasts. I haven't done it in a while and I need to. I will go to the Coney Island and get breakfast specials. And I will take them where the homeless people at. And I will actually sit there and talk to them. Hmm. I don't need to put it on Facebook. I don't need a T-shirt or a billboard that says that I do that. It's in me to do because everybody is a value. And once you put down your bullshit and realize you ain't perfect, you're never going to be perfect, and neither is anybody else, but I can do a little something to help you. I can say, hello, how you doing today? Sometimes if you walk past a homeless person and just speak, you validate them, and you might have saved their life that day because they feel like ain't nobody paying them attention. I just say do what's in you to do and be resourceful. Mm-hmm. What you say, Nicole? Woo! That was that was a that's a tough answer to follow. No. I felt that in my soul. I feel like, See, like Reverend oh, Sherrod right here. <laughs> Reverend Sherrod. Reverend. <laughs> oh man, you know, I I I feel the same way. Um just piggybacking off what you said. Um it's about just genu- you know, genuine relationships between people. Um if it's one person or the next, just having that basic um understanding that this person may not walk in the same shoes, but you know, I know they may be going through something, you know. So um, what I want to say is well, the Cast Meow, what we'll do is we'll put some resources and stuff on our page. Yeah. Uh, we have a Facebook page and we have an Instagram page that says the Cast Meow. Um, but just from doing this work for so long, like, I, 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 t- I could run into anyone and I feel like I could learn something. Mm-hmm. And I think if people would get out of the titles, like, a lot of people think that, you know, I'm more educated than I actually am. And I'm like, no, you know, (laughs) I only got like two letters. I don't have three letters. (laughs) Um, You know, I think like it's so if you just open up your heart and you really are working hard and you really let people um, know that you're there. Because let me be honest with you, like working with people who've been traumatized, they see everything. They see all types of shit. So they know when you lie to them. They know when you don't you really don't want to be there. They get all of that because that's a part of. You know, them trying to protect themselves. Yeah. So me just being real and 
just seeing another person hurt. You know, that's just where it started. Like having a conversation, like the movement of the Me Too and the, you know, domestic violence and sexual assault movements have became so clinical. I, I know clinical is, is good. I, I have clinical physicians um, and LMSWs that I, I know. But my thing is like, it's nothing more than just opening up your heart in comparison to a book. You need both. You have to have a reason why you want to do the work. And then you have to be open to making mistakes. Like, for us, like, when we say we work with as many populations as possible, we do. And within that, like, I make mistakes. Like, I've, I've accidentally, you know, said, you know, hello when I first started working in the Muslim community to the man when I walked, I mean, to the woman when I walked in the house. I'm like, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, you have to be able to say I'm sorry. You have to be able to be open to understanding if you want to work with people um, and give back in the community. That's cool. Thank you, thank you. And now we get into the classic Detroit is Different questions. Uh, make sure you listen to the Cast Me Out for more of this. Uh, as you see, it's such a unique connection for Detroit is Different. I want to thank both of you all mm. for being a part of what we're doing with Detroit is Different. Thanks for having Definitely me. Definitely deep perspectives uh, and takes. Uh, so the classic questions begin with this. Mm-mm. What was your very first car? What year did you get it? And what year making model was it? My first car was a, uh, man, a 19, no, a 2004 ZX2. Okay. And it was green. Okay. Emerald green. <laughs> and you got it. What year did you get it? I got 2000. That's okay. a brand new car. A brand new? Oh, you brand kicked the Brand new tires. out the box. Yeah, I did. Uh, ain't that something? All yeah. right. Where was the first place you went when you got it? I took my son to Popeye's chicken. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> we drove there we go. To Popeyes. There yeah, we, we go. She yeah. is a, a two piece in a biscuit. Yeah, she is yeah. addicted to Popeyes, so she been and feeling I ain't, it. I ain't ate it in a long. We time. when we went to Washington, <laughs> when we went to you Washington, she, like like Popeyes is not a part of the black community. <laughs> man, I would eat that three four times. Popeyes is a part with of that the black dirty community. seven mile and grassy one. Uh, you cannot. Shoot. You 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 cannot. Let that pop out. No, I'm trying to tell you, she won't go. I can't eat it no more. She won't go. I can't get it down my throat. She she won't go. And she gets sad every time. We went to like, we saw at least five Uh, or six when we just left a conference. Yeah. And every time she was like, oh, Popeye's, oh, Popeye's. And so we went to this really nice restaurant. And she got fried chicken. And was mad. And it was disgusting. And she said, "Mm, I knew I should have went to Popeye's. I'm like, are you serious? I got a $30 chicken dinner and wanted some Popeye's. I know. Hey, but it's... I know, it's like, sometimes you pay for the presentation. I need that fixed with that pepper card. But I knew oh, not exactly. to get it, though. I knew not to get it. Oh. I saw, saw beige, it's a and, struggle. and I That's knew a it. Struggle. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. I didn't get the chicken. You gonna have to. Uh, you gonna have to go suburban. <laughs> start going to chicken shack. Oh God, not chicken. Oh, ooh, my ex used to eat that stuff. You I don't have to mm-hmm. chicken shack. Go suburban. I make some. I make. I make pretty good fried chicken. You know, I cook a little bit, so I'm, I'm gonna stick with mine. That's about as close. Yeah, to the Popeyes black fried chicken. Is yes. Yes, uh, the Kroger bag. I do it up. I did. I actually got. I actually got the shopping bag. I do it up. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Exactly. Keep the flower seasoned, all that good stuff, y'all. <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> African American culture. Real talk. <laughs> Durkies on the Black side. Black culture. Mm-hmm. Black culture. All right. Nicole, what was your very first car? Uh, well, uh, Chiva. I don't know what it was. Was it a 99, a 98? 
But it had all black tinted windows, and it was all black with a spoiler. Surprise! You wasn't getting flicked. I was. Two <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> I was, and then I had this little turbo booster in there. She was skirting around. You was doing Tokyo drift. You bought your car from. You bought your car from like a car show. I didn't double. I didn't double muffler. Oh, man, you have Flowmasters? Yeah. Oh. Hey, she bought her car from, like, that person. I, I saw a dude. I saw a dude that put rims on a, um, on, on my car. I saw I saw a dude that put rims on a Ford Fusion. I was like, yo. Some people be like, hey, I don't care. It's like, I'm putting them on. I'm putting them on. I was like, hey. The car came like hey. that. The car came exactly like that. Hey, and so my, my boyfriend at the time, my mama was looking at me like, you don't want that little... Red little soup, little cute little car. I said, no, I want the black one right there with the black tinted windows and shit like you that. Was looking like, you was looking like Nino Brown. <laughs> it was like a drug deal was going down every time you pulled but up. But you know what my dumb ass did? Go straight up to Michigan State and go to school. And I got flicked so many times. Yeah, you probably got pulled over going to Le- that Lansing. Yeah. You probably got pulled over four times on the way. She done saw me drive past there. And she said, do it, do it, um... The example of how I drive through there. What, like this? Yeah, no, I sit up. She yeah, made a she, whole she production be like out of real, it. like real, like an old lady. <laughs> oh, you go on the night. <clears throat> what is that? The, the the three and the nine for yeah. real? That's what's up. Yes. So. She sit up. She ain't sleepy no mm. more. Did uh, She be uh, where, focused. Where was the first place you drove yeah. when you got there? School. Oh, for real? Yeah. So it's like basically out. you drove right in to getting flipped. <laughs> she, she went up there about the floss. Let, let you know, she called me Angela Davis, so I was maybe trying to do a statement or something. Shit, I don't know, but. Nah, you was, you, you saw, you, you saw, you was like, yo, I can probably put this in a rap video. Well, you know, like, I had to drive through Howell and Fowlerville. And Howell is like the number one KK in Michigan or the United States. They flipped you too? Yeah, I didn't have how flick me. I, I had gotten like at least three or four speeding tickets going like at least ninety to one hundred. Okay, I mean you <laughs> you you deserve to get flicked. <laughs> no, on the freeway. But then when I would go like every you day, you know the speed is seventy five on ninety on ninety six. But okay, shout out to uh, MSP and uh, anybody you know DPD listening. Like my speed is like seventy now. I have a child, so shout out, shout out to DPD and MSP. So uh, she still got a fast car. All right, three, three songs. You both of you all can pick, Um, separate or together. It don't make a difference, but I think separate will be better. You are the DJ at the end of the Detroit fireworks at Jefferson Mm. and Woodward, and the fireworks just ended. Mm -hmm. What three songs are you playing? MC Breed ain't no future in front. I like it. I like uh, it. Something Stevie Wonder. That yo, um, I don't cry. What is it? My eyes, my eyes don't, cry. don't cry no oh. more. Oh my god. Okay, so people gonna be hustling. Yeah, yeah. Something Earth, Wind, and Fire. Nah, I'll do some Aretha Rocksteady. Okay, I love that list. That that list is like a is a, like a classic Kari playlist. What is yours, Nicole? Hmm. <laughs> I'm just I'm thinking about this one because I've just been in my head all week since I left the White House. I don't know why, but what, Little Duval. What? <laughs> Actually, haha, no, Cheddar Boys. Oh okay. boy. Okay, all right. Tough tone. <laughs> you gonna, gonna have white people running like? <laughs> 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 
I like that. That type of music, like, was a lot to do with my whole little rebellious stage, stage when I was younger. Like, after my parents let me out the house. So, um, that, um, Tupac and Snoop Dogg's California Love. Okay, really? okay, wait, 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 wait. See, your, your age is showing. Do you mean... <laughs> do you mean two of America's most wanted, or do you mean California Love? The song Love? California Love. Okay, that's Dre, and that's oh, Pac. There we go. Same okay. thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even about to let you besmirch I'm my childhood I'm a, by I'm calling Dre and joke. Snoop the same. It's okay. a joke. It's a joke. Oh, it's a joke. Please. But no. Right. Yes, it is. Mm. <laughs> Snoop was amazing. Um, uh, something Shaka Khan. Yeah. What? What song from Shaka? <laughs> I, I have to sing it. I don't know the. Uh... How does it go? <laughs> Tell me something good. What is it? No. Why would uh, I? Why would I play that at I the don't end? Know. I just like that song. Would it be Tell Me Something Good? That's what I was thinking. Mm. Would it be? Uh... <laughs> me and Curry on the same song. Would it be? Uh, I know. I'm doing okay. this on purpose. What you gonna do for me? What you? I love that song. Let's see. I, love I was about to sing Stephanie Mills. That see, y'all think y'all know. See, I just tripped y'all because y'all think y'all so. Y'all always saw my music and y'all always saying y'all know all this music from back then and y'all always struggling. It's not going to be Sweet Thing or Everlasting Love, so it probably <laughs> would be. She don't even know. I think she's just messing with us. Uh, I feel for you. Yes. Okay, really? There we go. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. That's my that. favorite song. Okay, there we go. That was like the. But one. I couldn't think of the. I couldn't think. I was about to say, "I feel for you." That, that, I didn't want to put y'all through that, but y'all I just asked me to. Shout out to them, Cole, for not putting us through. <laughs> I feel for you. <laughs> it had the rapper, the the rap at the beginning. Shaka Khan was embracing. Yeah. <laughs> embracing. She is fine. She is. Oh, Shaka shout Khan. out to Shaka Khan. She, she was singing. Diva, Aretha. diva. She was singing Aretha shit on the fan. Oh, I loved right. it. Diva, diva, diva. That's something that I would do. I want to get to that point of not giving a shit. Just my Here we are out. memorizing speeches and stuff. We right. can just put them on the back of. Put them on I'm the gonna fan. do that Saturday. I gotta um, speak for the uh, slut walk. Gonna I'm gonna put it on the fan. I'm gonna whip it out. It's gonna be a slut walk in Detroit. Yep. Next next Saturday. Uh, Metro Detroit Political Action Network. It's gonna be at like twelve. Think at Palmer Park again. I need to figure out where I'm going. <laughs> but it was. I think it's gonna be at Palmer Park. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a slut walk. It's, I don't, they're at different times throughout the United States, but you know where it's stem, you know, stem from, mm-hmm. right? The slut it's, walk movement. That's the Amber Rose thing. That's pretty much all I know oh, about it. I know. That's all I know. But, I know. okay, like so Amber a, Rose is a different, she was the political figure that they tried to use to use it. I wouldn't necessarily call her a political figure. I mean, she got a figure, but it ain't political. Ooh. Well, that, <laughs> you know what I mean, but all mm. right. Mm. <laughs> So, so give the information on the. <laughs> you should give the information on wow. what the slut walk is. I, I no shade to more. her, but you know, mm-hmm. no, no, no. It's already, this TV. it's already out there. This has been the same thing on for the last. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but the slut walk originated from Ontario, Canada, and basically, this policeman um, said that you know, in order to stop being raped, you had to stop looking like sluts. Okay. So women decided across Canada and now across the you know United States and the world to do this slut walk, and it's ba- like basically reclaiming um, terrible uh, names, atrocities, and catcalling and different things that women have to go through. 
Um, I get a lot of flack or have got a lot of flack from my black um, social justice act activist sisters because they say, like, being called a slut is almost better than what we're called because for many long times we weren't even considered a basic human. So how can we really take on that word and we still are, just, like, fighting those same injustices that we fought long time ago? And I hear that. Mm -hmm. I hear that. I get it. I agree. But I'm trying to be one of the young leaders in Detroit to try to, like, bridge the barriers. You know, I have, like, these young progressive, sometimes hipster activists coming in. And then I kind of got the old school um, activists yeah. that, are, mean, that are... Even before you even went there, like, the... the I, I think... If the pool of pe if it's a pool of people here that you can reach or that have access to reach other people that actually you can assist and are about it, maybe the premise. I mean, it's not a clan rally, you know what I'm saying? So it's <laughs> like you know the the premise you may not wholeheartedly agree with and you may not have originated, but it's a place in a space where you can get your message across and you see their intentions as being something that are sincere and genuine. It's just based on their perspective of their age. Right. Kind of, I don't know what would be in a, a reference to this of kind of what I would do in reference to hip-hop, but, like, even with what I want to do with, uh, with um, here with, with Detroit is Different through the podcast <laughs> network. I may not necessarily agree wholeheartedly with everybody's vision, but mm -hmm. it's a platform to deliver and, and distribute things that, like, my number one question when I sat with you all, are you passionate about this, and do you really see the vision? Because that's what needs to get out. Yeah. You know, right. uh, it, it's, you know, to get in the weeds over the semantics of, I mean, it, it's so many strong black organizations over the years that we can just even see at the same time. Because it's mm -hmm. like, well, because they don't believe in this platform, brother, I'm going to just do my own thing. And it's like, okay, we can still have our own organizations, but we can all right. come together and we can still do certain work together and then where we disagree we can we can we can part ways but that point of view and that perspective of a young person mm -hmm. can still be used as a helpful tool okay. like with what hip-hop is right. like hip-hop is to me a young person's culture i love it i've lived it and i really captured the essence of when i was growing up in it most but with that being said, some stuff I'm not going to connect with, but I don't think that the music is being made for me. But mm. it's still a point of reference that can touch my community, and I think it has a role in my community mm -hmm. that's not just destructive, even though the interpretation can be very destructive for certain fans of it. Mm -hmm. People just got to get stuck out of their ways and be open to sh stuff, change. Yes. Damn, it don't have to be the same yes. thing all the time. Evolve. But, that's, but, but that tradition... <sighs> I know, I know you, you, you're golfing at it, but the tradition is often what people are holding on to instead of the, you know, kind of, you know, the battle the, the Supreme Court has the whole time, even though to me the Constitution never existed. But they're like, is the Constitution a living document mm -hmm. or should it be interpreted as is? Mm -hmm. And that is what is a constant discussion with all organizations, even though, um, you know, Every organization ain't the Supreme Court, but when you make your bylaws and your mission and, and your vision, it's like, is this living in reference to the intentionality of what we addressed when we started? Oh, I know. You know what I'm saying? Or is it, you know, to, to, to transition with where people are? I was yeah. reading a jet because I collect old magazines the other day, and I was thinking to myself, like, damn, 
Jet transitioned completely to online, mm-hmm. right? And trying to stay relevant. But I'm thinking to myself, like, I've never been to Jet online right. in my life, A. And B, what I went to Jet for wasn't even an online thing. Like, I'm looking at all these new TV shows, and I'd be thinking, like, I probably have, like, five Jets with, like, Issa Rae on the cover if Jet was still around. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, like, it, it was, like, a point in time that captured an audience that now I can go to different places mm-hmm. and get that information. So I have, a rep, I have like, reverence for what Jet Magazine meant to me mm-hmm. as a black person. And now when my, nep- when my nephew grows up, you know, your son, your daughter, like, they'll be like, well, I'll just go to, uh, I'll just go to their Instagram page. But the problem, I think, is people, it, I understand tradition is important. Mm-hmm. I understand old things are important. But a lot of times with when you're talking about old stuff and new stuff, old stuff or people with old ways of thinking don't know how to or or they don't want to embrace anything that that's, that's not but, yeah. new but you and, have and to, vice versa. But you have to understand maybe from their perspective, um, the tradition was a matter of life and death. Imagine trying to be like us back in those days that... Now they don't understand, and we they don't understand that we can walk around being who we are, and we don't understand how they don't understand us. No, no I, I understand I know this it. much. I just think they need to. Everybody, people need to listen to people sometimes. Yeah, I would have loved to follow like Red Fox on Instagram. Oh, I think that'd have been awesome. <laughs> Richard Pryor, Dolomite, God, oh my God, oh man, oh, he even imagine. Richard Pryor on Instagram, he'd be uh, he'd be incriminating himself every day. <laughs> Some of the rockers like Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, all them mm-hmm. had Instagrams. Yeah, like it, it would take away the need for information. To yeah. get, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like I have the reverence with Jet, but the reverence is more so the institution that I have it to be. Mm-hmm. But to connect right to the celebrity, it's like, uh, okay, it's, what are they it, doing? it loses its mystique because yeah. to me, I did like not knowing. I did like hmm. wondering. And to me, I, I love my most favorite thing I love to do is like look at, um, Biographies like of like I watched one on Kurt Cobain. I watched a documentary on Jimi Hendrix this weekend, and you know what? I I loved hearing the things like I didn't know that. I didn't, you know, that person was very private, but they like to do this and that. And you know, to me, that's how you really love and learn history. And so, like, why would we need to know? I mean, we know what our president is saying every five seconds. We know what Beyonce where she went to go jet skiing. Like, what is gonna be fun yeah. about? But it's any of that. But that's today's era, though. That's just how things are. Last Detroit is different question. You can mm-hmm. rename Woodward after one Detroiter. Who would it be and why? After a Detroiter, it have to be Aretha Franklin. Okay. Just out of reverence, right now. Okay. Malcolm X was from here, wasn't he? Malcolm X spent time here. He wasn't the, born. He was in born in Chicago. He was actually born. <laughs> he was actually born Lansing. And that's why Lansing honors his... That ain't uh, close enough then, huh? I don't know. You can name it after I Malcolm I would name it Malcolm X just to shake it up. You got that right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the Q-line no, would no, not no, be no. on that street. No, seriously. If, 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 <laughs> Malcolm X or Coleman A. Young. Coleman okay. Young Boulevard. Okay. Coleman Young. I like whatever. it. Yeah. I'm like, boy, yeah, the Q-line would be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, whoa. Like, where, where's your office? Malcolm X Boulevard. Oh, hell. Hell. <laughs> Stop a lot of the revitalization. No Gilbert Billing on Malcolm X Boulevard. <laughs> well, 
That would wow. be so classic Detroit. Like uh, <laughs> a multi-million dollar white corporation has their headquarters on the boulevard. That is some Detroit shit if it ever existed. I know, right? All right. Thank both of you. Thank both of you. Tune in. Listen. Peace. Thanks, Kurt. Thank you. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. You're listening to the Detroit is Different podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network.